0: in church, man. Golly, I love being here. Freaks me out. Um, let's go. Um, that's great. So I've been in Oregon for the past week. Really poorly timed vacation, but it went great. I said yes to that vacation before taking this position, um, but it was really beautiful there. It was rainy and cloudy the whole time, but still glorious. It reminded me of Lord of the Rings. Um it was- Great, felt like I was on my way to Mordor without the glo- doom and gloom of the, like, the weird, fiery eye. I don't know why I'm saying any of this. Um, anyway, uh, I'm really excited, though, to be, to be digging into this passage with you. We're going to be in Joel chapter 2. I say it like Joel. I don't know if it's supposed to be like Joel, but I say Joel. We talked about last week, I'm from Mayfield, so I'm always going to say Joel now and forevermore. Uh, we're going to be reading chapter 2, verses 12 through 18. If you're using one of our blue Bibles that we have on these community tables, and if you don't have one, you can grab one right off of any of these communion tables. It'll be on page 444. Um, Last week we were talking about seeking the kingdom of God first and how you can't just get around to seeking the kingdom of God, how it's gotta be a place of priority, how Jesus says like all these worries and these anxious thoughts in your life. You know that that they can steal away your attention, but if you'll seek me first, I will take care of the things you're most burdened about. Like, I will take care of them. That's like the promise of Jesus. And it was about us posturing our hearts and intentionally seeking the kingdom of God first. And this week is gonna have some similar sentiment. It's gonna be about seeking God, but it's also gonna be a really hopeful message about how God responds to a people that chooses to seek his name, to seek his face, to seek to be in his presence. This is just a really... Really cool passage. So I'm going to read verses 2 through 18. We're going to see what happens. I think this is beautiful. We're just going to hope that the Holy Spirit just goes wild with this one, all right? Um, So, verse 12, all right? Yet even now declares the Lord, return to me with all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments. Return to the Lord your God for he is gracious and merciful he's slow to anger and he's abounding in steadfast love and he relents over disaster and who knows whether he will not turn and relent and leave a blessing behind him a grain offering and a drink offering for the Lord your God blow the trumpet in zion consecrate a fast call a solemn assembly gather the people consecrate the con- the congregation assemble the elders gather the children Even nursing infants, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. Between the vestibule and the altar, let the priest, the ministers of the Lord, weep and say, Spare your people, O Lord, and make not your heritage a reproach, a byword among the nations. But should they among the peoples, uh, wait, sorry, why should they say among the peoples, where is their God? Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. All right. So let me give you some, some context to what we just read. All right. We just read a lot. We're going to walk through it and, and focus in on a few verses. But in chapters one and two, um, uh, the first half of chapter two, it's kind of a tough read, honestly. There's like Joel, this guy, he's a prophet. Um, they think it's around the time that the people of Israel have returned from exile and started to rebuild the temple. Um, but he's this prophet, which means he just like has a special ear for the voice of God. He sees the people, he sees the problem, and he calls it out. And he just lets the people of God know um, that there's potential disaster and calamity coming. And it's kind of attached to their disobedience and their coldness to the heart of God. Now, if you know the story of the Israelites, this isn't actually that uncommon of a thing, that the Israelites would find themselves in a place of like distance from the Lord, even though the Lord had delivered them time and time again. So if you've read any of the prophets, this is a pretty familiar concept, right? Like return to God. Like it's not going good right now. Things are about to get worse, but repent. But I want you to see the heart of God because God, just like the Israelites, are always kind of Drifting away from the Lord, God is also always uh, living in this posture of being open to the people returning into his presence. I want you to see this. First phrase in verse 12, this is going to be the first point we focus in on, all right? If you're a note taker, this won't be your favorite teaching, okay? But this is the first point. Yet even now declares the Lord. Yet even now declares the Lord, all right? A lot of us are super grateful right now for some friendships that are postured in the yet even now, okay? Because the first two chapters, or the first chapter and a half, it's all bad news. It's all like, look, it's about to get ugly, okay? It's not gonna go great. But the Lord says, yet even now, return, right? So like, I've got plenty of friends where I just like, let them down time and time again, like sent the text, you're not gonna believe this, but for the sixth time, I accidentally double booked or I overslept, or I forgot about this thing, and I, and I gotta cancel again, right? And if it's a friendship you actually care about, that, that's discouraging, because you're like, gosh, I feel so untrustworthy and broken, but they're like, hey, listen, even now, they never say it that way, what if they did? <laughs> yeah, even now, <laughs> let's connect next week instead, right? But have you had those friends where you just like really let them down? I'm giving a shallow version of it, like missing a coffee date, but you know, when you let a friend down and you're like, Yikes, this was like a big mistake or this was like my seventh mistake this year. I've been keeping tally. Like, and they meet you with grace and it's like, wow, that is like true friendship. I don't even know if I would have reciprocated that sentiment if you would have done it to me, but wow, this is incredible. Or maybe getting along to some more like serious yet even now moments. I think about like me growing up with my parents. Man, like my disobedience. You know, as a kid growing into a teenager, like your disobedience level really rises. Like the depth of it, the darkness of it. You know, so as a kid, you know, I'd kick a soccer ball around in the living room and I'd break one of my mom's precious moments. Does anyone know what a precious moment is? Oh, wait, everyone knows? Wow, I I thought I was gonna have to explain it and I didn't know how to. I was like, I don't know how I'm gonna explain with these little glass little doll things that depict like the nativity scene in a weird way with droopy little eyes. I don't know how I'm gonna explain that. Anyway, I broke one of those, right? And I hid it from them. Like, I don't wanna tell them that, and, and, and I was always just like, oh, my gosh, I don't know what's going to happen. But as I got older, obviously, like, the darkness of my heart, like, I, just, I grew in my ability to sin really well, right? So, like, I remember time and time again being caught, like, completely wasted or under the influence of something. I remember one time my parents picking me up from jail, and I remember being like, what is going to happen? Like, this is just not the best place for your parents to pick you up from, right? And I remember it was like 4 a.m. And the first thing my mom, this was a long time ago, by the way. So last weekend, uh, but uh, my parents, no, this is a long time ago. But my parents walked in and the first thing my mom did, like she was just like crying and she opened her arms and she hugged me. And you talk about confusion. I'm like, do you know where we are right now? (laughs) Uh, Okay, good to see you too, mom. You know, I was like, what is happening? But she was like, Josh, you could be dead and you're not. Like, you're safe. And we had a lot of hard conversations after that. I promise you that. But what I was so astounded by was my parents' posture of, like, love for me. Like... They were just glad I was okay and hoping probably that this was gonna be a real turning point in my life, but they just constantly were this like hand of grace over my life, and it's like, they were such a good example of the yet even now. Like, you've messed up so many times, but I promise you, you turn back. Like, um, we're always here. Open arms always extended your way, and it was so powerful, and I wanna say this this morning. No one is better at the yet even now than God. No one is better at this. He's the creator of it. He's the inventor of the yet even now. I mean, time and time again, the Israelites' story is one of like blatant disobedience and rebellion and darkness. I mean, Moses walks them out of Egypt. He goes to hear directly from God, gets some 10 commandments. And what happens when he comes back down? They're already worshiping some golden calf, which is a weird thing, but I'm sure it made sense at the time. (laughs) But still, he goes and he begs God, please, like, don't leave. We can't go without you. And what does God do? He stays true to his covenant. Yet, even now, I don't know what you've been doing this week. I don't know what 2017 looked like for you. I don't know if you're trying to wash that off. Some of you are here right now, and you feel as dirty and as distant from God as possible. But when I read this passage to a group of people who couldn't help but stumble into direct disobedience in the will of God, God's posture was yet Even now, return to me. This is so cool. This doesn't happen clearer than the story of the prodigal son. A lot of you guys know this, but I want to revisit it real quick. Man, Jesus is going to say, hey, let me give you a picture of the posture of the heart of God, all right? Imagine a son with his father. And his son's like, Dad, I know you got major money, all right? And I know it's supposed to be mine once you die. But instead, while you're alive, I'd like to get a chunk of that right now, all right? give me my inheritance, I'm gonna go and live it up. His dad does that. The son goes, lives it up, disgraces his family name, goes out into the city, gets just major money, major drinks, prostitutes, as bad as it can go, right? After you're living it up for a little bit, he finds himself broken, no cash, nothing to eat. He tells himself, okay, I have disgraced my family name, I have nothing, but I remember even my dad's servants, has it better than I have it right now. It's that bad. So I'll go back, and he's just got this good plan. He's he's so sure this will work. I'll go and tell Dad, look, I know I can't be your son anymore. I know I've messed this thing up. Like I I know that if I were in your position, I wouldn't forgive me. So um, look, I'll make an agreement. I never can call you Dad anymore. I'll just serve you, I'll just be a slave, and then that'll be good, and then I can just eat here because I was just eating with pigs, so that'll be better. And what happens? He goes home. His dad meets him at the front of the driveway. He sees him off in the distance, sprints out, hugs him, throws a party, cooks him a filet mignon, and said, my son came back. (laughs) Like, what? That's Jesus' story. There's an original story there where it doesn't end that way. Jewish rabbis told that story before. The ending of the story was the dad beating the kid for shaming his family. Jesus flips the script. He goes, look, no one's better at the yet even now moment than me right? So that's a story I really want you to hear. Let that sink in your heart. Wherever you're at, wherever your story is with God, however dark and distant you may feel, God looks at you and says, even now, if you'll return to me, I will meet you with grace, with love. Let's look at verse 13. It says, actually, let's look at the second half of verse 12, and then we'll read 13, because now we're going to talk about what returning looks like. It goes, yet even now, declares the Lord, return to me, With all your heart, with fasting, with weeping, and with mourning, and rend your hearts and not your garments, return to the Lord your God, for he is gracious and merciful, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love, and he relents over disaster. And I want to talk about, you know, what it can look like to return to God. If we hear that and we're like, okay, return to God, what does that mean? And one of the first things I notice is there's this honest assessment of your relationship with God there's just an honest assessment. There's an honest look into where am I actually at with God because he says, rend your hearts, not your garments. So this rend word, I'd heard this song called rend the heavens. It's gorgeous. I love the word rend. I have no idea what it means. So I looked it up this week and it literally means just to tear into two, like just to like ferociously rip. Do you guys see this as North Face? I hang in the outdoors. Um, I need to drink, and I just got self-conscious about my North Face <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, so I was reading about this word, rend, rend your hearts, and I was like, okay, it means to tear into two. And then it says, and not your garments, okay? So I didn't do a ton of study here, but I know a little bit about this. One of the ways that maybe an Israelite would mourn, maybe a death in the family, maybe losing a war, maybe feeling distant from God was they would literally go out into the streets and, like, rip their clothes out of, like, just, like, utter despair. And it was a way to almost, like, shame themselves. Like, I don't care. Like, I don't care how crazy I look, how disgraceful I look. God, all I want is you. Like, it was a way to show, like, mourning. But here's what happens. Like all humans, people get so good at getting into religion over relationship. And so God says, look, I don't want the act of you ripping your clothes like, I want your heart. Like, I don't want your religion right now. I'm looking for a relationship. And people are so quick to turn from relationship to a list of rules. And it seems like that's happening here. Because God specifically says, this meaningful thing of ripping your garments, I'm not interested in that right now. I want you to rend your hearts. I want you to be bare before me. it just reminded me, man, it's so easy to get to a place where, like, our apologies are just in word and not in heart, you know? like so you all knew that, like, couple in high school, and over and over again, the guy or the girl cheated. And every time they got caught, they came back and was like, I'm so sorry, like, I'm so sorry. like. And after the fifth time, you're like, hey, listen, I don't think he's sorry. Like, I don't think that means anything right now, right? Or it's like, for me as a kid, I got the wooden spoon. That was my, like, when I knew I was in trouble, right? And whenever I knew the threat of the wooden spoon was coming, like, just tear show, just I'm so sorry. Like, I'm repenting before you, mother and father. I've searched my heart. I was in the wrong, right? But they saw right through that. They're like, you're not sorry. You're not worried about the action. Like, you're not worried about what you actually did. You're worried about the punishment. That's not real. Your heart is not set on restoring the relationship with your parents, right? It's like, I think this is that moment that God is having right now. He's going, hey, keep your clothes on. Like, save the apologies. Like, I I don't want you to do this action. I want Your heart, And I was thinking, man, what does it mean to rend our hearts, to like tear it open? And I just thought, man, if we want to return to God, it takes this level of self-assessment and of vulnerability. I'm just kind of asking myself and I wanted to ask you guys, man, really vulnerable. You sat before the Lord for more than 10 minutes and got really vulnerable about where the darkness of your heart was. Like, God, search my heart. Where am I distant from you? Or maybe not even with God. Where is the brokenness in my life that I've been shutting you out from that I'm just not gonna let you in on? Like, where are those places where we metaphorically rend our hearts, we, we split ourselves open and just lay bare before the Lord and go, God, like, I need you. It says come with fasting. And then I'm interested in the emotions it mentions. Mourning and weeping. I have cried so hard in the past two weeks. I don't know Why? but my prayer life has just brought forth emotion and I can't explain it. I don't enjoy crying, but I'll tell you this, it has been a gift. Like I, I'm not, a, maybe I am a crier, but I don't feel like I'm one. But lately I've just seen like this special space with the Lord. And I don't say that boastfully. I think you, you know that. It's been special. And I just, there is something for us in the presence of God When we rend our hearts, where we break ourselves open, when we're vulnerable, we let them in on the places that we're broken, but also the places where we're rebellious, where the darkness of our hearts, we're just kind of cool with it. We're making sin lighthearted. We're making it okay. And and this is going to say, no, like bring your heart before me with fasting, with mourning, with weeping, like come fully exposed, like someone taking their clothes off in the street in my presence. Let me examine your heart on the individual level, but it's not just individual, right? If we read this passage, we see this is a communal endeavor. Joel is is talking to a group of people, the Israelites, okay? So I want you to look at verse 15 and 16. So we talked about returning and, and doing that on an individual level, right? Coming before God, bearing our hearts. Now hear this in verse 15 and 16. Blow the trumpet in Zion, consecrate a fast, call a solemn assembly, gather the people, consecrate the congregation, assemble the elders, gather the children, even nursing infants, let the bridegroom leave his room and the bride her chamber. And it it goes on, but man, God is just over and over again telling us, you're not going to do this alone. I'm just not invested in that. And he gives a lot of examples of this. Like I know that sometimes we're going to be alone, but I think we're designed to, to for the majority of our life, be with people, locking arms with each other. Because You know, think about what Jesus does. He comes down and he starts his ministry at like 30, right? And what's one of his first moves? He calls disciples, right? That's interesting because Jesus is like perfect and God and probably needs no help, correct? But instead, he chooses to like model this life of community. Instantly we see Jesus goes, if you want to live life like me, you got to start with a squad. Like get some people around you, right? I also thought about the birth of the church, Like in Acts 1 and 2, all you get really is this picture of like 100 people in some room waiting for the Holy Spirit. And although Peter's the rock that the church is built upon, he preaches an epic sermon, people come to believe, the mark of the church was a community of people coming together, breaking bread, listening to teaching, worshiping, being generous. Like it was always this communal endeavor. And you know, we as a church really wanna take this part of this passage seriously. If the passage says, gather the people, Fast, like come together, then we wanna live into that. And so for ethos, we're about to roll out something really, really cool, okay? So here comes some, some neat invitations for you guys. You know, every week I've been saying, hey, I want this to be a place where you don't just come here and sit in the chair and listen to the guy talk a little too fast and then leave and go, that was a good sermon or a bad sermon or okay or that was whatever, the singing was okay, or it was great, whatever. We don't want it to be that place. Church is a place that was designed for your participation, All right. And so we want to create environments for you guys, for us, for all of us as a family, to participate. So there's a few things I want you to know about. And this might be a phone moment or a write-down moment, okay? There's, there's three things I'm gonna tell you about. It's gonna be super sweet coming up, all right? That we wanna practice and participate as a community. On January 28th, we're gonna have a 24-hour prayer vigil as a family, all right? More details will come. Was anybody a part of that last year? Does anyone remember that? Yeah, Cody? I was there it was cool um, so last year you'll remember we entered into this time called fast forward and it was a time where we really explored what it looks like to be a community that comes together seeks the heart of God together fast and praise and we we all met at like four different campuses I think we met at the Ryman at T-Pac twice and then TSU and the whole church was together and the whole point of this was to go there's more of God let's chase him together because he tells us to Let's do it, all right? So we're gonna start on January 28th, 24-hour prayer vigil. We're also gonna have a 30-day prayer journey, all right? We've created a 30-day prayer guide to help us open our hearts together on this journey, all right? That's all gonna be online. There's resources coming. I'm not gonna cover the logistics right now, but just know what's coming up is us as a church spending 30 days together, praying together in unison over the same things. It's gonna be sick. And then lastly, We're gonna invite our church to fast. We're gonna ask our whole church to set some things aside during the month of February and to enter a time of fasting. Now, we're not gonna meet at the Ryman or at TPAC. We're actually gonna stay meeting here. So it's gonna be way more Hillsborough Village-centric, which is great. I'm very excited about that. I love being here. So it's gonna be awesome. But um, for those that go, what the heck is fasting? That sounds weird, or I've heard of it. I'm not down to not eat. Um, We're gonna talk a lot more about it, and we are hoping to just unload resources on you things to read, to learn, to listen to, to explore, and we're all gonna be on different parts of this journey together, all right? Some of us are gonna fast for like 70 straight days and somehow survive it, and some of us are gonna, that was a joke that won't happen, I don't think. We'll see, Lord, do your thing. But, um, but some of us are gonna just like fast one day a week and fast from food or social media or all these things. We're going to explore that more. But what I'm wanting to say is, I'm wanting to point out in Joel and just in the DNA of the gospel of Jesus is this invitation to pursue the deeper realities of God together, and we are now going to do that, and it's going to be sweet, all right? So I want to give you a heads up. Those three things. The thing you really want to know about uh, date-wise is January 28th That 24-hour prayer vigil. We're going to invite you to be a part of that, okay? So that's going to be awesome. Now, why do we do all this? On an individual level, why do we invite each other to just bear our hearts in front of the Lord? on a communal level, to walk together, to journey together. Let's look at verse 18, because here's the hope of God's response, all right? Then the Lord became jealous for his land and had pity on his people. This is the hope of the gospel, that when the people of God humble themselves, come into his presence, seek his face, he will respond with grace and mercy and passion. He's jealous for your heart. He longs for your heart. He responds to your heart. He takes pity on his people in broken situations. This is forever the hope of the gospel that if we will really humble ourselves, lay everything aside, come into the presence of God and seek his face, like he will respond. And that's what we're gonna do together. We're gonna be strong for each other because this thing is hard. We all know this. Seeking the Lord is hard. I see some parents, that's hard life. Like, trying to make time for God? Are you kidding me? That's insane. This is a hard thing. We are strong in numbers. You ever heard of peer pressure? Like, that's the numbers thing. And we're gonna positively peer pressure the heck out of each other to just get after the heart of God in a good, like, meaningful, genuine way. Uh, (laughs) Read the Bible. Um, It's gonna be good. Um, So we're gonna go on this journey together, okay? Now, we're coming into that time right now where I'm gonna talk about communion, and then I'm gonna invite us to participate together, okay? Okay? That sound good? Be we ready for that? It's gonna happen, all right? So um, first of all, communion is on all four tables in all four corners of the room, all right? And uh, just briefly, communion for us is a time to break bread where we recognize that God took on flesh. Jesus says, this is my body. It's where we remember that God didn't just sit distant in some like weird, invisible deity. They became man, lived among us. And then the juice is representative of his blood that was shed. Not only did he become human, but he humbled himself, and he took the cross for us to make a way. So the, the communion table, that's a place where anyone can come get it, but you have to come with the posture understanding it was not by your works, but that Jesus accomplished something great so that you could have a relationship with God. You can get that at any moment in the next 10 to 20 minutes, okay? It's going to be totally up to you, free form, whatever you want to do there, okay? One thing I am going to invite you into, all right? I'm going to give you two questions or, or two, different, two different things. So first... For the next 10 minutes, we're going to do that thing where we play some music, and I'm going to give you a question to reflect on. And I just want to invite you to pray about this, to genuinely reflect on this, all right? I want you to ask yourself, when's the last time I had a genuine moment of rending my heart with God, of like really giving them me, all right? And now, I I don't know our prayer experience, so I, I don't want to leave this vague and you go, I don't even know what that means, but... For me, it looked like telling God everything I'm feeling, worshiping, asking him to mold my heart, reading some scripture, but like giving myself like an hour or two hours in a room where I knew I was alone and with the Lord. But I just want you to ask yourself, when's the last time you really let him know, you really let him in on the details of your life and postured your heart and said, this is where I'm broken and hurting. This is where darkness feels like it's creeping in and I need you, God, I need you. So ask yourself, when's the last time that happened? And then maybe consider making a plan to really connect with God, like this week, today, or this week, all right? Um, so ask with that, reflect on that, um, and consider pursuing that. And then after about six to seven minutes of reflecting on that, as you're praying, I'm gonna invite us to actually circle up our chairs and pray for our church here. Um, so it's gonna transition. So you're gonna, you're gonna think on the individual level, okay? And then I'm gonna invite you to actually circle up chairs, and you don't have to do this, but if you'd like to, Circle up chairs and pray for our church that we would actually humble ourselves and seek the presence of God and that we would experience the presence of God here in Hillsborough Village. I am just very convinced that God is ready and willing. I really think that's true. And so just pray for our hearts. I think our hearts are kind of the issue right now. You know, I think we live in a culture that's like, hey, it's okay if you're not okay. We struggle in a culture to go, you're not okay, let's take some steps though. Like, let's really go. Let's acknowledge some of the ugly parts of our hearts and let's go for it with the Lord. Let him examine our hearts. So pray for our church, pray for our Hillsborough Village family that we would really go after God together, okay? So first thing, six to seven minutes, reflect on your journey. When's the last time you rendered your heart before the Lord? Um, And then I'll come back up and and, and instruct us to pray. That's an okay? All right, do your thing. We're gonna play some music, boom.